Hey guys, welcome back. BDC Care here. We're back with Season 8, Episode 5 of our weekly Q&A videos that used to have a lot longer name that I almost said just now. <laughs> but then I realized we made it easier on ourselves again. Um, but if you are currently watching this on YouTube, we don't mention this every time because people don't care that much. But if you're, uh, you can check out the links in the description to access this on all the major podcasting platforms. Yeah. We don't have as much stuff. We don't really have anything to talk about about ourselves oh, this week. Well, to start, or do I mean, you want to? You know, it's fresh on our minds because we were watching this over dinner. Uh, boys. Oh, the boys. Season yeah. two. Okay. On Amazon Prime. That's true. And I guess it's perfectly fitting today's Prime Day, so all the more reason to talk about. But holy moly, really good. Um, yeah, I think when we were first talking about it, so first yeah. season was really good, mm -hmm. and. I think you were a little bit skeptical in the second season for a little while about just whether I, well, I just it was wasn't, as good. I wasn't sure if it was as good. I wasn't sure how it stacked up. Because, you know, when you have such a spectacular first season, it's hard, right? You don't have, like, uh, the same sort of really, like... When there's there's landmark scenes in the first season. There's a couple scenes that really spring to mind when you think about the boys. You lose the benefit of being fresh and new. Yeah. Of discovering something. Mm -hmm. So, it's like the... It's like in sports. It's like in... TV shows, it's like everywhere. The sophomore slump is a real thing. Because do you just give people more of what they liked the first time around? Yeah. Or do you go in another direction and risk alienating people? Mm -hmm. And It's so good. It's it really, is. We're not all the way through it yet. But no. it is spectacular. And so one thing I want to say specifically, this is just relevant to us. Um, I'm not... I'm going to do my best to not spoil anything. I think I won't spoil anything. Um, there is one character in the show who in the second season in the second season who th the major sort of twist for their character um is telegraphed in their name yeah so if you see I, and i think that's not a spoiler because if you are seeing the, if you're seeing the names the new characters introduced in season two um if none of the names mean anything you don't need to look them up right um yeah <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I think the only way that that's a spoiler is if you already kn know what we know about uh, what the name, what connotations the name has, right. and then also um, recognize that when you see the character name. And I just think that's such, it's got such clever, sharp writing, and it its name is such that, th their name is such that um, you can both know about what sort of the alternate meaning of the name is, right? Um, and still not telegraph the twist, because you sort of you already got to the point where the twist was like half revealed. So th this is what it does it really so well as a show. So there's clearly a larger story arc. And I mean, this didn't always used to be a common thing yeah. in TV shows. There were a lot of say police procedurals where each show was sort of self-contained. It was the same characters. There wasn't a lot at stake in each episode that had an impact on the rest of the season or the show itself. Yeah. This clearly has a, a really good arc. And I think a lot of the, the dramas in the last 20 years have done that and they've mm -hmm. taken their cues from the really successful shows, right? Like, uh, off the top of my head, I can't even, I mean, uh, the Sopranos, uh, Breaking Bad, mm -hmm. uh, Dexter, um, again, really interesting because it's got the big story arc, but it also has these subplots. Yeah. There's all these different threads that, that, that interweave and, and this is what we were talking about earlier, where it's the, what makes it so good. It's not just a compelling story, but 
it's seeing the art of putting all these things together. Yeah. And you were saying, and I thought, I was, I was thinking about this when you were saying it, that it was very much like the way Tim Powers writes books, mm-hmm. where there's stuff that's happening um, in, in sort of real life yeah. that if you know it, it enriches it a little bit more. And he's taken all these elements of the story and, and put them into the the context and made it fit in a way yeah um that's really quite clever yeah so it's like the more you know about like politics american nationalism there's a bunch of little threads and obviously it you know one of the reasons why it's tying these things together is because it's like a satire right so you do have to sort of root that in something real but it works as a drama without satire it works as comedy, like a dramedy without satire, too. Yeah, but yeah. it just all is enhanced by a lot of really sort of interesting and it's not always subtle satire. Yeah. Like, um, see, I don't even I don't even want to spoil anything yeah, for the not, show. But what the other thing that really I mean, it, it reminds me of so many other things, other stories where you the conceit being that superheroes are real, but then they flesh out the rest of the world in a way. Yeah that makes it just so much more it's not it feels much more vibrant mm-hmm. and alive in a way yeah without taking away like there's an example i don't know if you ever did you ever read astro city i didn't um that was a comic book series kurt busiak covers by alex ross and i think brent anderson did the art for most of the issues and i, I lost track of it I, I followed maybe the first like year or two mm-hmm. and it was really good that sort of you know, we're used to so many superhero stories where um, the suspension of disbelief doesn't stop with just the superheroes. Like, there's a lot of other yeah. things going on, and it seems like they, they introduce a lot of other stuff. And I think in the late 80s, I want to say, they took it in a direction where it became a little bit more realistic. And, I mean... Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen was really responsible for this, but yeah. what what the comic book writers took away and from it... And I've heard it, the Watchmen TV series is really good, too. I heard that, too. We should we um, need to watch that soon. But the, 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 a lot of sort of the writers who saw the success and tried to imitate it took the wrong thing. Instead of the depth of storytelling, what they did was they just, oh, it's grimdark. Yeah. So they just made everything really dark and angry and violent. And, I mean, if you do it well, it's okay, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah. So one of the things that the boys also makes me think of, um, I was I'm was in a group chat and there was a bunch of people who watched and loved the show, in varying amounts of progress through the second season, um, who were all trying to sell it to one person who had never seen it before, mm-hmm. and I was trying to think of things to compare it to, and I think th- what it reminds me of a little bit is. If you remember the early Iron Man movies, like the first and second Iron Man movies, okay, um, sort of the the way that in the first Iron Man movie he has to grapple with the fact that Stark Industries has been making weapons for terrorists and selling mm-hmm. weapons to terrorists, <clears throat> and then in the second movie or third movie or one of the later movies where there's that scene where he's like at a party, right? Because he's publicly Iron Man and he's hosting a party and he's walking around in the suit and he's going. You know, everybody's asking me, you know, oh, Iron Man, how do you pee in the suit? And he goes, just like that. And he goes, <laughs> And sort of those scenes, right? Where it was really sort of grounded and yeah. it was trying its best to place Tony Stark and that character in what felt like a more real world context. Yeah. And so it reminds me a lot of that, um, mm. which 
the Marvel movies have totally lost at this point. You think um, so? I'm trying to think back when, when if there was a, a tonal shift like that when that happened. Well, that was the beginning, right? That was Iron Man. That was the first Iron Man movies. Though that was really grounded. And then you see Iron Man in the new movies. You, you know, you've got the emotional beats of things happening to them, but you don't have that sort of like where's the what is even the connection to the real world other than I, the fact that it's being threatened. I don't know. Okay, so I don't know why. I can't think of an instance, but I feel like the Avengers was grounded still like that. Because, and it wasn't even like a reality grounded scene. It's that scene where the Hulk is tossing Loki back and forth, like that. Yeah. Like it. It feels. I don't know. I, I'm not so good at breaking it down in terms of the concrete but stuff, but it's the emotional. Again, it, yeah, it's it's emotional. They're still emotionally the grounded, grounded, but that's yeah. not that. Ha- you're in a massive tower, and there are aliens yeah. pouring out of the sky, yeah. and everything. And by that point. When we're talking about that in Iron Man, it's a dude in a cool suit, right? Right. And, um, but I think, to me, the boys has managed to both give people basically whatever powers they want. There's, I don't think, when I'm looking at the boys um, as a show, I don't think there's, you know, a huge amount of explanation. You know sort of approximately where people's powers come from. But there's not an explanation of every individual's powers, what they can do, right. what their sort of limitations are, what they have. There's no oh. attempt to really ground what their bodies are doing. Right, 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 right. Which right. is fine. I don't care. But there's a real the way that they ground it in the real world. Yeah. Um. Is what? is so much stronger than oh. I think anything that pretty much any other superhero media has done. Okay. And now I'm gonna I'm gonna age myself a little bit. Is that how I'm gonna? You know what? It I just occurred to me. I don't know why I never thought of this. The Wild Card series, um, that was edited by George R. R. Martin. Yeah. Did this really really well back in the 80s and it was a whole series of um there was a mosaic type novel series so mosaic being um one story but it was broken up into different perspectives sort of the same way um a song of ice and fire is yeah so it's one big story different perspectives but the different perspectives were written by different writers Mm. okay and oh like well grace and well grace yeah sort of like that that was um john green and john levitan David Levitan? David Levitan. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a while since I've read that. Yep, yeah. you're absolutely right. Um, so, yeah. And it, it was... Oh, I got to go back to... Re- I remember when I first started reading that, it was really great. Yeah. And he left it for a while and came has come back to it recently. And I, I never picked up the thread when it came back. But the first few books were really spectacular because yeah. nobody else is doing anything like that. I mean, everybody's... Well, I don't want to say everybody, but it, it's been that ground has been, especially with all the superhero movies, has been really, um, you know, tilled and, and what, what's the, there's a, uh, like retread metaphor for it. Like it's been, it's been well worn. Yeah. Um, but I remember when wild cards first came out, it was pretty, like it was really fresh. Yeah. Um, had great Tim Truman covers. So Tim Truman was, um, uh, comic book artist who became famous for doing his own um, project, Scout. Mm. He wrote it and he drew it. Um, I've got a sketch from him. I met him at, at a convention once and he did... Uh, anyways, it, that's a story for another time. But um, So, yeah, I get... Oh, I, I got to pull out those copies. You got to read Wild Cards. Mm. It's... I think you'll enjoy it. Okay. I think any, you know anybody listening to it, anybody who's read Boys... And I hope my memory hasn't failed me. But if you're listening to this, you really enjoy boys. You got the boys. The boys. <laughs> um, I, I'd recommend the Wild Card series. Okay. Yeah. But 
I guess the main takeaway, boy season, the boy season two is really good. Uh, if you haven't watched either season one or season two, uh, we highly recommend it. I think when we're through the show, uh, we probably will come back with thoughts about specific scenes. Yeah, and a bit of a spoilery kind of... Yeah, because um, I, I think we've done our best not to spoil anything significant here. Um, the, the kind of level of spoilers that you could expect to see by watching, like, a trailer. Yeah. Or, like, looking at, like, um, promotional material for it. Right. Hopefully. Right. So, yeah, but it's it's really good. Uh, it does a great job of what it wants to do. And it's, like, it's made us think about, like, the process of making tv we had to look up because they keep mentioning fresca um in this season and it's from the first moment that it comes up it's very clear right like it's they're not like just showing fresca label (laughs) prominently the the like somebody offers somebody fresca and the line is do you you want you want a fresca and it struck me as so weird to specifically label it by brand right it stands it stands out and then we had that discussion about whether um, you're allowed to do that. And I think my my gut reaction was that you are, and the reason why certain things don't show up is it's an opportunity to sell product placement in whatever media you're doing. Yeah, and uh, I looked it up, and there's all this stuff about like brand dilution and blah, 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 and all the reasons why people can and can't use uh, brands in their stuff. But right. it's it's one of those shows that really, like, it it makes you think, but it's also some of the best action on TV oh, in yeah. recent memory. I don't yeah. know. I couldn't point to another piece of like television that has as consistently good action in a long time. What do you consider? I mean, do you consider Netflix television? Like yeah, if it's, Netflix is TV. So is it? So it has to be episodic then. I think so. Yeah, it can't be okay. like a single piece of like. I think if it's in one big thing, it's a movie whether or not it's, like, a Netflix original or whatever. Right, okay. And even if it's in, like, four chapters or something, that's, like, right. a limited-run series to me. I'll tell you what I really liked as far as an action piece that I guess would qualify as a movie then. Yeah? Old Guard. Hmm. And it was... Again, that was another comic-based um, property. Yeah. I really liked it. I actually saw something afterwards from a stunt person mm-hmm. saying that the Old Guard's action was actually one of its weaker things. Really? Yeah. I and that it was it, relatively, it was all right for action, but it, not. But you know what? It it was in service to the story. Yeah. What what I like about, it, I mean, action is kind of cool. I mean, it's, who doesn't like a spectacle, right? I mean, that was the draw of something like Transformers. So yeah. you just watch something that just looks really cool. But I think because it's so much a, integral to the story mm-hmm. that it just it 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 lifts everything up. Everything yeah. it seems better for having. Be, a final product that's just so and yeah it's entirely possible that his concerns with it i think that was from the corridor crew channel youtube channel it's a stuntman react to like bad and great hollywood stunts whatever one of the more recent ones probably the most recent one uh if anyone's looking for the specific video where uh i'm talking about uh and it's entirely possible that that's the kind of thing that doesn't um read to uh, people who aren't as knowledgeable about it. Right. Right? Right. Because uh, it didn't really read to me when I was watching the movie. I didn't have any problem with the action. I never looked at it and said, this is spectacular action. I thought the stuff that was happening was cool. I never looked at, like, the scene and said, wow, that's choreographed really well. Or, like, wow, that, yeah. like, you know, that's a really cool fight. Right? Right. Specifically. So it was a good movie that had action in it. Yes. I don't that's know. That's a good point. I don't know if I would have called it out specifically, like, for its action. I think, you know what, what, why it, 
it stood out in my mind is that I think I've, I've watched a lot of action movies where the action seems to be the point. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it so much more that and the boys, because it's, it's really, you can't pull it away from the story. It's not like something where the, it's an excuse to put some action. Yeah. In. It really is necessary for that story. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. And to be fair, when I say that the action is really good in the boys, I'm, the most of the examples I'm thinking of aren't really traditional action so much as like, violence like cgi like violence like it's got really good visual effects right. and a lot of it is like i i can't point to a specific fight scene and I go oh this fight was choreographed really well or shot really well um it really is most of what i'm when i'm thinking about action as i'm considering like wow that was a really impactful use of extreme violence in the show right right which is i think maybe a little different so action might not be the right word when i say that either um, and but I, it enhances the story. Yeah. This is it. It just it fleshes it out. It makes it just more full and rich. Yeah. And I, I, without literally just calling it violence, I don't know what other way to refer to it. And there are multiple scenes that are, you know, really impactful for what's happening on screen. Right. Separate from the story as a visual spectacle right. where you just go, oh my God. And I don't, like, the more I think about it, I'm not even sure if action is exactly the right term, but I don't know what else I would call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's it's good. It's really yeah, good, yeah. is the main takeaway. Yeah, and I yeah. think we've talked for <laughs> long enough yeah, about it. The yeah. free advertising um, for the boys. But yeah, it's it's worth watching. You can send your check to us. <laughs> they, did, they did do a ton of advertising ahead of... Yeah, on YouTube. They like, hired different like YouTubers oh, did they? Uh, to do ad stuff for it. Yeah, We clearly think, don't have a high enough profile. Well, yeah, these people like millions of subscribers. They did like Michael Reeves did something and Jax Films did something. I don't even know who Michael Reeves did. is. He does robots. Okay. He's fun. He's like this short um, Filipino, half Filipino dude from Hawaii who does like a bunch of like weird robots and stuff. He's he's a good mm-hmm. time. I, right. I recommend his channel. It's very okay. <laughs> fun. Um... There we go. That's two recommendations. Yeah. The boys, Michael Reeves. Right. Uh, yeah, but getting into our first question. Or only... the tail end of the question from last time that we had to cut off. Yeah, that's true. So this is um, still talking to Ember Mist, uh, who has continued to do our timestamps. So we should start off by saying thank you to Ember Mist for the timestamps. Yeah. Uh, appreciated. And so this is the next part of the comment about political stuff. So what we didn't get to last time. Uh, literally none of the recent police killings were because of race. George Floyd? Nope. The officer already knew him from another job, and one of the three officers that didn't do anything about Chauvin clearly wasn't white. Uh, Rayshard Brooks? He was doing fine until he fought two police, took either their taser or their gun, and then in brackets I think it was their gun, then ran away with it while pointing it at the officers. Jacob Blake? He already had an active warrant out for him. The officer came over there because of a domestic abuse call, which I believe are some of the most deadly situations for officers. Blake had a knife, according to the um, Department of Justice. The officer heard a woman say, I was going to say Dawn of Justice because it's DOJ, and I'm so (laughs) used of it in justice mode. Um, Had a knife, according to the Department of Justice. The officer heard a woman say that he had her kid, in quotes, um, and the officer already failed a tase attempt when he was going to the car. At this point, the only force he could use was his hands or a gun. Holding his back wasn't working, so he shot. If he didn't, he could have kidnapped a kid, stabbed one or more people, or got a gun that the police didn't know about. I don't know much about Daniel Prude, other than the fact that he was definitely on tons of drugs. The other guy whose name I don't know, he was literally running at the police with a knife. 
I'm not racist for wanting to care or treat people differently because... Uh, for not wanting to care. Did I say that? Yeah. For not wanting to care or treat people differently because of race. Nor am I dog whistling to white nationalists. So, all right. So, just a totally not relevant point. So, originally, Taser is, is stands for something. I know it's gotten into the, the common usage where yeah. Tase is the verb now. But mm-hmm. it used to be that uh, the style guides, it was tasering. Yeah. So, if you, you didn't tase somebody. You tasered somebody. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where that transition happened. I guess it's because... It feels like language works. a writer writes, a taser tases, um, you know, like that kind of thing. So yeah. it's funny how, how it shifted because in my mind it still feels like it should be tasered mm-hmm. or tasering. But I guess yeah. it's just, yeah. And so I think, like, we definitely disagree on... Uh, Not you point. and me. Not you and me, but um, we disagree with the sort of comments by Ember Mist here yeah. uh, to say that these things weren't because of race. I think... The problem is, and again, I'm going to sort of try to look, pull what I can from the prejudice class that I'm taking, uh, which is that explicit prejudice um, and explicit v- like voice prejudice mm-hmm. has decreased super, super dramatically. Right. And it is, you know, rapidly becoming something that is not present in like polite society anymore, right? right? Where there's nobody who is generally considered reasonable who is vocally talking about prejudice. Right. Um, but implicit prejudice and stereotypes and those biases has not actually changed that much um, in a very long time. Like in, uh, when you look at like the time frame that they've been like looking at prejudice mm-hmm. um, as explicit has declined, implicit has remained relatively static. And so explicit prejudice and implicit prejudice both predict um, behavior in certain situations. And implicit prejudice best predicts behavior when people don't have enough time to engage in effortful, conscious, so, active thought. Higher faculty thinking. Yeah. So um, when people have their snap judgments, snap decisions, right. their initial um, judgments of people, uh, and this is unavoidable, so your unconscious bias um, you'll, you'll is look at more, um, makes more of a difference when you don't actually have time yeah. to consciously make a decision. So your your implicit bias engages right away. And so there's mm. been, a, you know, like a bunch of tasks um, and things that have tested that, like, people are more likely to uh, misinterpret uh, something being held in the hands of a black person as a weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they'll do like a, it's I, I forget what it's called. It's some shooter task um, that I've... I think I actually did like a modified version of uh, where they'll present you with uh, sort of random backgrounds, people in the backgrounds, mm-hmm. and they'll either be holding a weapon or uh, a non-weapon, like a tool of some kind. Or a bag of M&Ms. Uh, no, it's all non-weapon tools. No, I think, I'm just saying. It's, I'm thinking yeah. of uh, Trayvon Martin. Was it Trayvon Martin that had a bag of M&Ms? Oh, Somebody I, did. Yeah. I'm so, not 100% yeah. sure of the name. Maybe it was yeah. a toy gun. That was different, um, but there's an M&M somewhere there. And they found that pretty reliably... Um, people, uh, especially non-black people, will have a bias against black people and right. are more likely to, um, like, quote-unquote fire, right? Right, um, right. At, at a black person holding a non-gun tool than, like, a white person. And there's different breakdowns for each race. I don't have the information in front of me, so I'm not going to make any claim. But there's, there's certain populations, I believe, Muslim and black people are uh, two of the races who are more likely to have ambiguous stimuli 
um, interpreted as weapons, right? Ah, Where you have okay. to spend more time thinking about it, and you'd have to actively. So when they when they try to when they make you, they give you a limited amount of time. When they make you make a sort of a gut decision, right. where you have to scan it, and you don't have time to really engage that conscious thought process, you're much <laughs> more likely to. Or people as a whole are much more likely well, to. I guess, and cops specifically. I guess the when people they tested that they cops. studied. So they stu- you're, what you're saying is that the group that they studied included police officers. I know that the study has been done with police officers. So you st- you're, so it's been repeated. Yeah. Is what it, you're saying. Yeah. And so it's obviously not everybody yeah, individually. I'd more be curious about how they selected the groups of people yeah, to look at. Yeah. And so that that's a good point too. We're, we're not trying to say that, you know, any one study prove something definitively, right? right? Because that's not how research works. Right. But the body of evidence suggests and suggests with a relatively high degree of confidence um, that, you know, situations like this, people do are engaged in unconscious right. bias. Because you can't test everybody. I mean, that's part of how research works is that you sample a group and you hope that it represents a larger group that you actually want to study. Mm-hmm. And there's also, so there's unconscious bias, but there's also the distinction between unconscious bias and unspoken bias, which is bias that you are aware of, but that you know you can't say. Right. And maybe bias that you would even deny yourself having, right? Um, but that exists, where you will say, well, I don't think black people are any worse than uh, white people. I just think, like... They're committing crimes and they're making worse decisions, right? Right. Which is still an example of bias, right? Bias right. towards a racial group. Right. Um, and, you know, people can argue about, uh, like, well, it's not bias, it's true, blah, blah, blah. I'm not... That example maybe plays into people, like, pulling for research. But uh, separate from that, like, in general, you can have biases against groups that are not substantiated by any evidence or are not substantiated by good evidence, right? Right. Um, that you hold that you would if somebody said are you racist do you have a bias against black people you go no right but then you still have these beliefs that are damaging in one way or the other right yeah and that that's also there's also this isn't 100 percent relevant for what we're talking about but just while we're here uh there's also the idea of like ambivalent stereotyping where you have a mix so ambivalent ambivalent so two valences which is good and bad stereotypes which are both damaging um so one of the things uh, with this our society as it exists right now is that we do have ambivalent stereotypes about a lot of discriminated against groups and so another way that people say that they're not racist is or not sexist or anything is by saying well here are the good things that i think about this group of people and a lot (laughs) of the good things aren't that great either yeah so um the easiest example for this is sexism. I don't want to get too far off the racing and we're going to come back to it. Right. right. But for sexism, one of the things is that a lot of people are like, Oh, well, women are a lot more nurturing. They're better at caring for people. They are good in sort of that motherly role. Right. And that is, um, something that you would call a positive perspective on somebody. You go, Oh, you know, you're, you're great. You're such, you're so supportive. Right. Um, but those stereotypes for women, uh, still do actually end up damaging them by restricting the opportunities right. that they're given. Right. Um, you you are giving people more credit when they are um, remain in stereotype-affirming roles. And so for women who are nurturing and who enjoy being nurturing and who th- for that it is inherently satisfying and good for them, right. uh, it's not as damaging. But for people who are trying to be in business, for anyone who is trying to exist outside of that stereotype, that stereotype is limiting. Right. So it feels like, I know it's not the same thing, but if, if I want to draw that back to racism, then it feels 
in terms of an attack the same way that, that the model minority um, yeah. idea works. And for black people specifically, it's a lot. One of the positive stereotypes is um, sports. Ah, right. Athleticism, right. Uh, strength, uh, physical ability. Right. Where you are saying, well, like, you know, no, I think black people are great. I mean, look, all my favorite like basketball players are black um, right. and they're good at this. And, you know, there's like everybody's heard stereotypes about. Um, right. Uh, black people in athleticism. Right? right. And that is ostensibly theoretically you say, well, they're good at these things. You know, this is a thing that I like like about them. Uh, it seems like it's helpful, but it is still sort of limiting and not great. And that this isn't what the commenter was talking about. Amber Miss didn't mention anything about right. uh, sports at all, but just while right. we're here, it, I think it, it's... It comes back to yeah. the idea of the implicit bias, right? Yeah. And that just because there was an officer there that wasn't white doesn't mean that he couldn't have been biased himself. Yeah. And just because they knew each other does... I mean, we're speaking to the, the two cases that were, have gotten the most prominence that I've heard about the most, which is George Floyd and Jacob Blake, right? Mm -hmm. And just because he knew him before doesn't mean that there wasn't racism in their interaction before that either, yeah. right? He could have not liked him because he was black yeah. in their previous interaction. Yeah. There could have been a bunch of stuff. So was it only race and nothing else? Oh, absolutely no. not. Absolutely not. But no situation is only race and nothing else. Right, right. Uh, there's always an environment surrounding him. But yeah, you know, the, the fact that the police officer knew him before uh, is terrible. And it makes it less about just a racist cop stopping a random black dude on the street. Right. But it does not make it any less about racism. Right. So, and let's look at the, I mean, let's say, let's say it's not racism. Let's say in the case of Jacob Blake, it, if we read this right, um, he had a knife. Uh, the There was, a, what, you're an officer and you hear a woman saying he, that uh, he has her kid. Yeah. And tried to taser him and he wouldn't stop. Um, and so, the only force he could use was his hands or a gun. Holding his back wasn't working, so he shot. So, to me, this is the perfect example where whatever training this person had completely failed him. He shot him seven times in the back. He followed him closely enough, holding on to a shirt to be in danger from a knife if there was one. Didn't need to get to the car. Yeah. Right? I mean, did he pat him down before he grabbed him? Mm -hmm. Did he do something? You know what I mean? I mean, all that stuff... To get to that moment where he could plausibly say he felt like he was in danger, um, mm -hmm. he was in danger the moment he got close enough to grab him. Mm -hmm. And to use that to justify uh, shooting somebody sometimes back, I mean, it, it boggles my mind. I mean, I even I've seen the training or seen some of the discussion where people talk about how within a certain number of feet where you think that you're, you're actually not in any danger that that's safe yeah. distance mm -hmm. that you are even if you have a gun somebody with a knife can sprint at you yeah hurt you before you've even had a chance to do anything with it yeah so that that whole idea that yeah now he feels like he's in danger well how do you think he got to that point where he was in so much danger he did it to himself mm -hmm. the police officer and i'm talking about we've mentioned this before we'll mention it again that's not what due process is right yeah. Like, there's there's an assumption of innocence until proven guilty. The way the justice system is meant to work, uh, he shouldn't be able to shoot somebody because he thinks they might be attempting to access a weapon that he has not yet seen, right? Yeah. There's no sort of situation well, or... Especially, know, especially when he could have done so many things leading up to that point where he could have mitigated the potential risk himself. Yeah, but e even if... You know, we're existing in a situation where we say he did literally everything he could, right, up until that point. 
um, up until the point where he fired seven rounds into uh, his back, right? That's not due process. It's not acceptable. That's excessive use of force at the very least. That's not yeah. neutralizing somebody, right? right? Right. You don't like. You don't need to shoot anybody seven times in the back, right? In the back. Yeah. There, there's no situation in which the first shot it connects and the next the, in between the next six. You're, you're talking point blank range, right? Yeah. I mean, even you, you talk about video games. What is it? Double tap? It just, I'm just, there's, I'm just there's, saying there's, there's nothing. It, yeah. It, again, there's no situation. Somebody's clearly lost control of the situation. That, that kind of person should not be a police officer, whether he's holding on to somebody who's white or black. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it becomes a question of, well, is this more likely to happen if the person they're trying to apprehend is not white? Yeah. That's the other, I mean, it's a secondary question. You can never sort of tease those apart completely. Yeah. So this, this is another thing, which is that you can say that race wasn't involved. And, you know, when there's no explicit racism happening, you can't ever say like this percent of the situation was due to race and this percent of the situation was due to training and this percent of the situation, right? You can't, it's not a recipe. Yeah. You can never, (laughs) you can never sort of go back and untangle things unless, you know, it's like a member of the KKK who did it, right? right? Unless you start from a point where somebody looks you in the face and goes, this is exactly why I did it. And they're saying something that is horrible enough that they would never say, um, to try to, they would never say to try to make themselves look better, that right. they have no right. motivation for saying. Um, yeah. That's the only situation in which you can say, th- this is fully racially motivated. If, if a okay. KKK member goes, I lynched that person because they're black, that's the only time that you can say that was a right. fully racially motivated so, event. What, okay, I don't even know why I'm thinking about this now. So the, the stuff you're talking about where people will tell you something or tell others something or maybe even tell themselves something because that's what they believe mm-hmm. um i used to find the show big brother really interesting because of that split mm-hmm. and it was interesting because there was so much footage that was available like they're basically in the house mm-hmm. 24 hours being filmed all the time that you could see how they would try to present themselves yeah. in the confession room yeah but you could also see what they'd actually done Mm. and it was so interesting to me how that that stark difference between their like self-reception and their like front-facing persona yes that was always so interesting to me because i don't think there's other opportunities to see that the same way yeah where you can i mean and these weren't necessarily bad people Mm -hmm. but they'd they had a story in their head where they were the hero and it allows them to rewrite history a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, 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 there's a, there, I'm sure there's a more elegant term for it, but where they can be a little revisionist. Yeah. And they can still, they get to still think of themselves as good guys when clearly they do something that's wrong yeah. without having to be accountable for it. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to be that annoying person who keeps bringing it back to like cold, hard research, but hopefully for anybody who is trying to actively engage in good faith with this conversation, that's actually useful and good. Um, so we've talked about that sort of bias in make in decision making due to race when there are situations where you don't have enough time to engage in your conscious thought process. Yeah. Now I want to talk about because the situations that we mentioned here um, are all for one reason or another uh, slightly ambiguous, 
right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes what's ambiguous is our interpretation of it afterwards, and sometimes what's ambiguous is uh, the interpretation that the police officer needs to make, right? So in the case of George Floyd, the ambiguity in the situation is, um, you know, the sort of combination of factors because they knew each other beforehand. And when we talk about uh, the example of uh, getting shot in the back seven times. Jacob Blake. Jacob Blake. Yeah, the name was escaping me, and I know it's bad. We should do our best to sort of remember that stuff. But there's a lot of yeah. information, and I'm sort of just trying to process it best I can. Uh, Jacob Blake, the ambiguity of the situation that the police officer had to assess was what was the risk to himself and other people, right? Right. So the research on uh, ambiguous situations also shows that when you don't have explicit prejudice, when somebody says, I'm not racist, uh, and they are being honest in their own perception when they say that they're like, I don't have racial bias. Um, ambiguous situations will tend to manifest that racial bias. Mm -hmm. So what happens is uh, the, uh, one of the better examples of this is a study where they were, they had individuals uh, put in applications for a position and then they had participants rate those applications. Uh -huh. So there was, different sort of mixtures. So there was people who were clearly bad candidates or people who were clearly the best candidates. And then there was ambiguous candidates where they were better in some fields and worse in other fields. Right. And so for the clearly good candidates, there was no racial bias exhibited when people uh, were, you know, approving them for jobs. Right. But the second that there was, um, it, there were ambiguous candidates where there was one, you know, white candidate who was better at one thing, but worse at another thing. And then a black candidate who was better at the thing that the white person was worse at, but then a little bit worse at like in terms of education or job experience right. or whatever. Right. Right. Uh, they, what they found was that there was a consistent uh, racial bias and they would justify it by changing the weighing scales for each of the factors wow. so that what factor was important. Um, so they were like, well, I, I, they would give it to the white person more often. And then I'd say, well, the reason why I gave it to the white person is because the skills that they had are more important to this job than right. these other skills. And so there's still, there, there is a racial bias in situations where you have ambiguous information. And even if somebody is not explicitly racist, but not even more than not explicitly racist, even somebody who does not believe they're racist and genuinely thinks that that is true will exhibit racial bias in situations where they're given ambiguous information that they have to process and assign weight to right. individual parts of it. You know, as you're talking about that and, you know, ambiguity mm -hmm. and the, the chance to actually think things through, Parmi wonders if the reason why George Floyd's situation was so m much more strikingly awful was because it was so long. There was so much time. Yeah. And there was the opportunity for somebody to okay, your maybe your gut reaction. Yeah. Was it wasn't wrong. it wasn't like ten seconds of firing. Right. And so it becomes much harder to justify it as an sort of a being caught up in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because every second was a new opportunity to think it through and come to like a conclusion, change your mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, I th I think that that is a good point. I think that's also why the length of time was such an important part of some people's messaging when they're talking about it. Right. 
right? I forget how, was it like seven minutes and 13 seconds or something like that? I think it was like eight minutes, I think. It was somewhere, yeah. it was just I don't, I don't ridiculous. remember what it was specifically, yeah, but it like was. Like when you, when you talk, in, in my work, I ask people like, how long did it last? And I ask them about stuff that happens for a short moment. And then they'll say, um, you know, for a minute or two. I said, yeah. do you really mean a minute? Or do you mean like, this is just something you're throwing out. Maybe it was like a few seconds. And you say, yeah. I don't know. And I'll say, okay, so how about we do this? And I'll just start my watch and say, we're going to just wait. For how long it felt for, like it was, yeah. Or even, yeah, we, I, I go one of two ways. I can say how long it felt like it was, or I can say, let's wait for two minutes and then see, did it feel like, was it like that? And it, yeah. it, the work I do, it sort of matters. Like it helps sort of figure out different things, but it's like, yeah, exactly. That people have a, a different sense of time when things are happening. Mm-hmm. And to me, when you're eight minutes is ridiculously long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that's just another thing, and I think I, I am gonna say, um, for the study that I just mentioned, one of the things that that is not like one of the ways that that is not fully applicable to these situations is those show both um, outgroup derogation and um, in-group. Um, I forget what the term is. It's elevation. So, you know, when you're a white person who's choosing to hire a white person, right? It's mm-hmm. not as clear if what behavior you're exhibiting there is any sentiment against black people or if it's just sentiment more positive sentiment towards white people right so it's not exactly as applicable here because you're not choosing between you know a white person to um kill in the street and a black person to kill in the street you're choosing to kill or not kill right a black person when we're talking about these killings right? right so it is it is a little bit different but i just think it's sort of important to note that you know racism racial prejudice and racially prejudiced actions still exist in situations in which individuals can fully believe that they don't have any racial bias. And the situ these, a lot of these situations include a lot of sort of the magic, uh, ingredients to make people behave in more prejudiced ways. Mm. So to say that race had nothing to do with these situations, uh, is I think, you can't, you just can't say that. Yeah, I think it's pretty across the board inaccurate. Until with, we can read with, people's minds. Yeah, with all the information that we have, I don't I guess, think it's fair to make that claim. And I guess even if we can read people's minds, sometimes your reaction doesn't sort of bubble up high enough into the 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 higher cortical functioning to be able to even be conscious of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think... I think that's all I wanted to say on this. I we talked for a while. Yeah. There's a lot of talking about this. We're not going to get through all these questions. We're huh? not. We're going to have more. So we talked for so long. Okay. So we've got another question from Ember Mist. That was the follow-up. With yeah. This the time answer last week when we answered his question or their question and didn't even get through it all. Yeah. So that's fine. But anyways, the, this is responding to, yeah, again, last week where, uh, part of their question from last week was looking up how many unarmed black people were killed by police. Yeah. Um, or telling us to say how many it was without, without looking, looking it up. Right. Yeah. And so the answer to that, the answer is 13. I can't find exact statistics by demographic, but annual police interactions for black people are in the millions every year in our lifetimes. Also, Democrats have control of the majority of the policy in areas that this is happening in. What have Republicans done in Chicago? Uh, okay, so you know what? Uh, let me answer the second part first. I feel like we've got to do some injustice stuff. Yeah, maybe. So let me read the injustice question. So it says, for injustice, which metal character do you think 
gains the most from evolving. I think it's New 52 Shazam due to him being able to make himself and any Justice League teammate invulnerable to basic and special attacks. And yeah, we'll, we'll answer that first. I, I want to say, I think Batman Ninja Catwoman gains the most because the longer duration her passive is active, the more powerful she is. And she's already powerful even without boosting her passive. So maybe you'll make the argument that her starting point is higher. So the fact that she ends up way higher when her passive increases the, the duration. Mm-hmm. But I think that is just so much better yeah. than anything else that she starts off at a higher point and she gets even higher for every second she gains that much more powerful man do you remember when we were in an injustice youtube channel i do <laughs> i don't know we went look at the visuals the visuals are still yeah we went 44 minutes and we've talked for like 35 seconds about injustice i'm calling we the talked boys, about like, the boys yeah that's that's, that's superhero, superhero but i don't know if that counts yeah uh, <laughs> um so we're the, real full of ourselves now yeah, huh i mean the I, so the problem i think is that in the states it's gotten very much the uh uh a partisan kind of democrats versus republicans yeah i don't think it, it really matters i don't know that necessarily all the democrats are somehow enlightened progressives although they claim to be yeah and i also i think like my main thing i don't think um politicians uh for like in certain states have a huge amount of control over directly what happens in police stations. Yeah, yeah. I think you can sort of change stuff in sweeping ways, budget being the main one. Right. Uh, but on a sort of more granular level, I think it's one of those departments that unless there's been a bunch of external push for a change, yeah. uh, they sort of manage themselves. And I think both Democrats and Republicans do a real crappy job um, holding them accountable. So I would and, say, you know. And at, as groups, but I think there are individuals that happen more that are often more likely to be Democrats. Like I, I'm a really big fan of AOC. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the stuff that I believe is in line with what the kind of policies she's pushing for, but it's easy because a lot of stuff she's pushing for, we already have it in Canada. Yeah. And it's good in Canada. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, and I shouldn't say a lot, but in terms of the bigger, the biggest part of the platform is to me, the healthcare for all, mm-hmm. or what is it? No, it's Medicare for all. It's M for a, yeah, so I, I guess I would just say that, like, Republicans are not going to help any more than the Democrats are. I think it's a bad system, and it's a bad system that... Right. It, the, the main issue is that it has been left unchecked. Yeah, and when you've got two parties, the problem is, within each party, there's going to be a spectrum of the kind of people you're going to have. So there's going to be, um, well, because the Overton window has shifted so far to the right, where people who claim to be centrist are really, compared to Canada, for example, really right-wing yeah. um, and conservative, then... You're going to have a lot of Democrats who, in my mind, would have been Republicans 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, but I, what I'm going to do yeah, is... Yeah, so put, everybody sucks. Democrats suck, Republicans suck. Um, equal opportunity. Yeah, and it's not that, like, one of them doesn't suck more than the other. I think in the case of managing the police, though, um, historically, I don't think either of them have really been doing anything. Yeah, neither so have been I think that great. In terms of in terms of response to the police, I think both of them... Um, from everything I've seen and, you know, obviously I'd have to do more research to make such a sweeping claim and really feel like I could argue for yeah, it, yeah. but I don't think either of them are better than the others. And I think when, in my mind, the, the issue is that they're not being held accountable. Right. It doesn't matter who's not holding them accountable. Yeah. The point is nobody's holding them accountable. Yeah. 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 Um, and I just want to throw a link out there. I mean, if we're going to talk statistics, so I've got there, I, I was doing a little bit of a, a search 
and there've been and as a public health thing. So what we're looking at is PubMed, and there are um, a number of studies. A link one uh, that looks at unarmed deaths, and those are the kind of deaths that are actually the most interesting and the most telling because it's harder to imagine any kind of great scenario that justifies shooting somebody who is unarmed. Yeah. Um, and the title of the study was Deaths Due to Use of Lethal Force by Law Enforcement. And um, really quick on in the abstract. Victims were majority white, 52%, but disproportionately black, 32%, with a fatality rate 2.8 times higher among blacks than whites. So the people are about three times more likely to be killed if they're black than white. And we should say this is from 2009 to 2012. Yes, and it's, this is U.S. Um, that's where most of the numbers are available, right? Yeah. So most victims were reported to be armed, 83%. However, black victims were more likely to be unarmed. That's 14.8% than white, 9.4%. Or Hispanic, 5.8% victims. That's an interesting sort of twist. Yeah. But they were most likely to be unarmed. Like 50% more, more likely to be unarmed when they were killed. Fatality rates among military veterans, active duty service members were 1.4 times greater than among their civilian counterparts. Four case subtypes were examined based on themes that emerged in incident narr- narratives. About 22% of cases were mental health related. 18 were suspected. Suicide by cop incidents with white victims more likely than black or Hispanic victims to die in these circumstances. So that's the suicide by cop one. Mm-hmm. And 14% involved intimate partner violence and about 6% were unintentional deaths due to law enforcement action. Another 53% of cases were unclassified and did not fall into a coded subtype. Mm-hmm. Uh, regression analyses identify victim and incident characteristics associated with each case subtype and unclassified cases. So you can make a case easily. Too many fatalities by law enforcement, totally across the board. Yeah. And you can also make the case that there's enough racism that black people are disproportionately affected by racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the key to me is you're one and a half more, uh, one and a half times more likely to be unarmed when killed if you're black mm-hmm. doesn't mean white people are completely protected that's never it's never that kind of those absolutes that we're talking about right but that yeah. that seems pretty big that you you're one and a half times more likely to be killed when unarmed than if if you're black mm-hmm. yeah uh, out of like the total percentage of people who killed like yes yeah because yeah. the math on that is hard. I'm not sure if that statement is actually fully accurate. It, a version of that is, but I think the way that you're saying it might not be exactly what the statistics mean. It's It, it, it tells me that they were more likely to be unarmed. Like 15% of the black people that were killed were unarmed. Yeah. Less than 10% of the people who were... Yeah, so out of vote. out of the total people who yeah. were killed by cops, yeah. a much higher proportion of the black people were unarmed. Yeah. 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 There we go. Yeah, so, I mean... I, I don't know how much more we can even say about... Let's do another justice question. I yeah. need to cleanse my palate. Oh, i got time. That makes sense. Okay. So our next question comes from Ryzen Vacha, and they say, uh, as always, let us know how to pronounce your name if you want me to pronounce it better, because I'm sure I'm pronouncing everybody's right. names terribly, uh, unless they're like white European names. Right. Um, and they say, which character do you think changed the meta the most when they were first introduced? There's at least 8 to 10, which changed it a lot, I think. Character, not gear. So there's two ways I think you can approach this question, right? Yeah. When you think about uh, the change the meta. Changing the meta, to me, could mean either that this is a character that you could build your team around, mm-hmm. where it changed your strategy, so this is the kind of 
Um, these are the kind of fights that you wanted to have. Yeah. And then there's the characters to build a team strategy around because you're having to face them. And if you want to win, you need to know what to do against these characters. Yeah, I'm going to say my three, Raven, Ares, Red Sun, Green Lantern, are my three, I think, big ones that come to mind fast. Sorry, Red Sun, Green Lantern, okay. Yeah. Um, you want to explain? So Ares uh, changes the meta because we were, like, for playing, for who to pick, right? Right. Because when Ares first came out, uh, he was, like, a must-have in a quick grinding team. He was the quick character for getting right. through fights really fast. Um, Raven super changed uh, how you would play against her you because you always needed in your team a way of beating Raven or you were screwed when you fought her. Right. right. It was really hard to just get lucky and beat Raven when you weren't specifically ready for Raven, right. especially right when she came out. Now right. it's a little bit easier. Right. Um, and then Red Sun Green Lantern, just because you could have a team that could win against anybody else and would you'd struggle against Red Sun Green Lantern. So you right. would also have to have something specifically in mind. You couldn't just rely on like crit-related effects. Um, and if you did, you would be screwed. I'm going to argue against Red Sun Green Lantern only because there's no real strategy that you can have against them. Like, every team, when you lose crit crit damage, you, you just... You, everybody's going to be struggling a little bit. And no no stun, and no crit damage. So then I'll, I'll still argue for him that he changed the meta for what you put in as a defensive team. Oh, I guess that's true. Fair enough. Because you would that's see a, a ton point. of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I've got a few, actually, and I'm thinking historically, too. So, in my mind, Batgirl was huge. Um, if you're talking Ares, Batgirl was really important because before you had um, all the... Before you had Tanty Totem, before you had Master's mm-hmm. Death card, you... And actually, even before you had Razzle Scimitar... It, it, he might, that might have come out at the same around the same time. So you had Razzle Scimitar. It would still take a while to get the second bar of power for Ares to be to really be game changing. Yeah. So Backer was almost de rigueur. You had to have her mm-hmm. if you're going to be doing a Ares team where you're going to be spending a lot of time struggling. Um, uh, Shazam, I think, because of his passive, he was sort of the precursor to Tanty Totem. He was uh, available in the as a rare drop later on. And if you, I think around the same time or close to the same time, Killing Joe Joker was available. So that team up made a huge difference where you could let Killing Joe Joker die mm-hmm. and use Shazam to wipe out the rest of the team, the enemy team. Yeah. Um, I'm going to also say Killer Frost because she was the first power dampening. And early on, that made a big difference. Before you had really big basic damage dealers and before you had um, easy specials, the specials were still the the bigger part of the damage. And it made... Before you sort of amped up both the basic damage and specials, specials was still, to me, more important mm-hmm. than the basic damage. And when you were facing Killer Frost, you were really up against it. Mm, that's a good point. Um, when Arkham Origins Deathstroke came out, it was more not so much a big shift, but there was a small shift because uh, when you were facing him in multiplayer... And before they, they fixed him so that he didn't always get 200%, if he came in with a bar of power, you were dead. Yeah. And that was really unbalancing. So you had to, back then, that's when it became so important to have a real meat shield. Somebody on your team that was you didn't care about, and you had to have more than one person on your team mm-hmm. that could have offensive potential to fight back when Arkham Origins Deathstroke just dropped in, dropped a special one, and whoever was in front of him was out. Yeah. Um Reverse Flash was one of the first guys that made people shift a little bit away from specials 
because Reverse Flash came up before Tantu Totem. Mm. So it meant that you couldn't rely completely on specials. You couldn't have a specials um, team. You'd had to have at least a certain amount of basic damage. Um, Flashpoint Batman, before Tantu Totem came, he yeah. was unbalancing for for the game because it meant that the, the that was the really big shift towards um, basic damage. But I, I, my memory might be failing me because part of me thinks that maybe they came around the same time where Tantu Totem came first, but I feel like Flashpoint yeah. came... Not, I don't 100% remember. I'd have to take a look at that. Um, and then I think finally Batman and Ninja Catwoman. So yeah. she's the one that's making a lot of people uh, field teams that have two pieces of Lexcore gears just to counteract her passive. Yeah, so there we go. Uh, we're out of video. Uh, talked a lot about politics this week. Uh, we didn't get to all of our questions, which, spoiler alert, uh, Even from many, are po- many are political. Yeah. <laughs> so those are, look forward to those. We're not... We're not done talking about that, and yeah. I don't think we will be anytime soon. Uh, so if you're one of those people who... Unless we go not, hide in a hole. That's true. If you're one of those people who doesn't like us talking about politics, uh, I would say... Wait for Thursdays. I would, yeah, I would say <laughs> this content is probably no longer for you. But if you've gotten all the way to this point, uh, that's probably not you anyways. You probably are at least yeah. all right with it, because I can't imagine listening through to this entire episode if you're the type of person who does not want us to talk about politics. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, we're, we'll we'll do our best to continue to alienate the people who came to us for just injustice originally, <laughs> and maintain whatever it is our current audience is. So, uh, anyways, to finish up, we have some people that we would like to say some words about. First off, a shout out to Eliza the Voice, Katen. Uh, she bought a blue snowball mic and now sends me clips of her reading random copy pastas for practice. Uh, suggest what she should read next in the comments. This shout-out has been brought to you by an old man in an antique store who told her she should do uh, voice work mm. as a as a job and who she's taken the advice of. Eventually. Your mom's gotten that, too. Yeah. Uh, we'd also like to give a massive thank you to all the people who support us on Patreon. So that is a thank you to Consul Peasant and Ed Woon, who are supporting us at the highest tier last word. Mohammed Al-Shady at the Your Message Here tier. Sean Farrell, Daniel Simonson, Aaron Mall. Michael DeVries, Brandon C., and Irvin Ruiz, who support us on the credited level, and Chris Wolf, Scarlet Danny, Awesome Gamer 241, Pavu RS, and Gavin Malott at the gratitude level. Thank you all so much for your support, and thanks so much to all of you for watching, liking, commenting, whatever it is you do. However you engage with this, if you're here, you've given us some amount of support, and we thank you for that. We'll see you next time. Komoda! Komoda.